Good morning, church. Good to be with you. No bear sightings or anything like that this week, so uh, stay tuned in coming weeks. My aim today is, uh, once again, to take uh, God's Word and to serve it to you. That is uh, my aim specifically today, Romans 15 verses 30 through 33 that was just read. My aim is to speak it into your life and for this passage of Scripture to speak into your life about prayer, about what I am calling biblical praying. In other words, the Bible should be influencing how we pray in today specifically verses 30 through 33. We're going to see in our text today, right away, something that uh, you don't need me to remind you of, and that is that life is, is not easy. Paul's life was not easy. His ministry was not easy. His travel was not easy. He struggled in life, as you struggle, as I struggle. Our struggles are all different, but we all struggle. And so the question is, where... Does the Apostle Paul turn for help? Who does he look to? Was there a a special building where uh, apostles went and received some sort of special apostolic power? Say no. No. Was there some sort of like black platinum apostolic card that he was given and when he got to difficult places, he, he showed his card, his apostolic card, and, you know, oh, you have one of those. Uh, come, come on in. Did, did he have one of those? No. His life was hard. He struggles. So where does he turn to for help? In today's passage, to find his way, to find help, he turned to people like you and like me, but ones that lived a long time ago in the first century. He turned to the Christians in Rome to pray for him. That's where he turned to find help. As he is on his way to Jerusalem and he knows that it is going to be difficult, that it's going to be hard, in fact, that's an understatement that he might be killed in Jerusalem, Imagine you're going to this place knowing there is a good chance that you will be killed. Where does he turn in light of that? He looks to ordinary Christians in ordinary churches like this one to pray for him. He is desperate for their prayers. So let's just dive into the text today and and see what God would have us to see. Let's begin at verse 30, Romans chapter 15. He says there, I urge you, brothers, meaning the Christians in these small Roman congregations in the first century, I urge you, Roman Christians, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. This is where Paul turns. 
in his struggle, in his trials, in what is facing him in Jerusalem, he turns to the Roman Christians to pray for him. Now, unlike us, Paul was like constantly traveling around the world, the known world at that time, the Middle East, the ancient Near East, we might call it. So he didn't have really a fellowship like this. I mean, he had many of them, but he didn't have a home fellowship like this. He didn't have a small group or a women's Bible study. He was a man, so he'd go to the men's Bible study, right? He didn't have a men's group or a women's group or a small group because he's constantly traveling. So he had relationships with believers in different churches, and he is calling on the the Roman Christians, where he's never been, he didn't plant this church, he's in Corinth, and he's calling on them to pray for him. At the very beginning of verse 30, the translation I have, it says, I urge you. I urge you. So this isn't like, hey, if you get around to this, you know, would you maybe, if you think of me this week, will you pray for me? That, that's not the spirit of this request. That this is serious. This is a strong verb. It's, it's, uh, in the Greek New Testament, it's the verb parakaleo. And you're familiar with, not that pronunciation of it, but you're familiar with it in Romans 12.1. He used that same verb there, where he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, sisters, Christians, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. He's urging them. He's urging us in Romans 12.1 to adopt a new paradigm. Don't think about going to church on Sunday morning as your offering. It is your entire life that is your offering. It is not going to the temple in Jerusalem with some animals that is your worship. It is your entire life to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This is urgent, an urgent reorientation. And so back to our text today in 1530, this is urgent. By our Lord Jesus Christ, and then I I love the second part here, and by the love of of the Spirit. You know, we don't read a lot about God the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. We read about Him, but we don't read a lot by the love of the Spirit, meaning, I think, God's love, the Holy Spirit's love for you will help you to receive this urgent request And pray for me. My aim today is for us to have a more biblical understanding of prayer. And the understanding that we ought to have is that the prayers of people like you and like me for others who are having difficulties in life is an important and massive thing and responsibility in our lives. To pray for those who you need to be praying for. Now, Paul knows something that we often forget. 
Um, he knows he's going to struggle in Jerusalem. We know that we have struggles at work. We have struggles in our relationships. We have struggles in a variety of ways. But we often forget that our struggle on one level, on, on the most important level really, is not against blood and flesh. Or we're used to it being translated flesh and blood, right? Does that seem wrong to you that it says blood and flesh? It actually says blood and flesh. Our translations flip it around. So if you want to say, hey, Mike, could you explain to me why our translations flip it around? I don't know. But they all flip it around. Other than the NRSV, that's why I put the NRSV here. So this is what it actually says. But I think my best answer to why with our translations, the ESV, the NIV, others, NESV, flip it around, is just tradition following the King James, but I don't really know. But it doesn't really matter. It's saying the same thing. Our struggle is not against enemies of flesh and blood or blood and flesh. In fact, what he's getting at here is that our struggle is more than in the physical realm. It's more than in the natural realm. So whether it's this way or that way in one level doesn't really matter. We have a struggle and a battle that's going on in the supernatural realm that then also impacts the physical, the natural realm. And because we forget this, I think we often treat prayer like, hey, if you could get around to it this week or you think of me. No, our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There is a battle going on in the spiritual realm in the heavenly places. Paul is keenly aware of that battle. So as he's going to Jerusalem and he knows there are people there that want to kill him, he knows that there is a battle going on in the heavenly realms and he's asking them the normal, ordinary Christians like you, like me, to pray for him. To pray for him. He has this understanding. He also prays and has confidence in them praying for him because he knows that he who is in you, Christian, is greater than he who is in the world. So our enemy, Satan, and his demons are powerful and strong, and have power, but Christ is greater. And so, beyond ways that any pastor could explain, we are called to pray for victory and for aid. And God promises to respond to our prayers, and he does respond to the prayers of these ordinary Roman Christians. We'll look at that more in a few minutes. And he responds to the ordinary prayers, prayers of ordinary people like you and like me. So what I am getting at this morning, what verse 30 is getting at, to say it more properly, is we should have this perspective. Lord, help me to desperately value the prayers of your people. Help me, Mike. Insert your name there. Help me to desperately value the prayers of your people. This is what Paul valued. So I have to back up now and ask another question. And that is, 
do you have a community of believers that know you, that know your struggles, that know your battles? And as I've often said, our biggest battles are are in here, they're in here, they're in that spiritual realm that impacts us here and here. And we need the help of others to make it through. This is what Paul is after. He is after the prayers of the people and careful readers of God's word. That's you and me. We should be taking away from this. I need to have that kind of perspective and urgency. Is Jake in here? This thing dropped again. I'm just going to set it over here. But we're not going to let that detract us. There are powers going on. And what is most important is the Word of God and not my slides. Do you have a community of believers that know you is the question I'm asking. Now, Paul, as I mentioned, traveled. So he didn't have a home church. He didn't have a small group. He didn't have a men's fellowship or women's fellowship. He didn't have really close Christian friends. I mean, he had some that traveled with him. So he's just written a 16-page letter, and part of that letter is explaining what I need you Christians to be praying for me for. So if you're traveling the world spreading the gospel, then you should do just like he's doing. But if you're like most of us, this is our home, then we need community. We need gospel community so that you can actually share your struggles and ask other believers to pray for you. So, do you have a community of believers that know you, and are you asking them to pray for you? We've been talking about phones a lot. I was just talking with someone about phones during our our break. And um, this morning... I got a text from a couple, many of you know, uh, Robert and Sarah. You don't need to know them if you're visiting with us, but a a couple just godly people in our church. And I got a text from them early this morning saying, hey, will you pray for this couple? And they mentioned this couple. I'm going to mention them. Some of you know Scott and Jane, who haven't actually been with us since before, before COVID. And they texted me this morning and said, hey, will you, and he, when, he said, when he said, will you, he meant our group, we pray before we come in here in the morning, will you guys who gather, will you pray for them? I said, yes. And I thought, this is, this is, this is what we should be using our phones for. Robert and Sarah have been ministering to this, this couple. They're, they're in San Luis Obispo, enjoying God's creation. They sent me some pictures, another good thing to use a phone for. But a way better thing is to say, hey, will you pray for this situation, for this couple. That is the kind of thing that if Paul was around, that, that Romans 15, 30 through 33 would tell us, this is what, if, if we're going to be using our phones a lot, let's use it a lot to do verse 30 and, and to urge prayer for what's going on. The two best possible things, I thought about this this morning, the two best possible things that you could do on your phone, I thought of two, someone can correct me afterwards or even right now, but uh, one of them would be 
to ask Christians to pray for you. I think that's, you know, maybe number two. And number one would be to read the scriptures on your phone. Those are probably the two very best things, best uses for our phones. Mine's in my drawer over here. I'm loving keeping my phone in the drawer more and more. That's one of my new things in life. And so it's in my drawer. Otherwise, I would hold it up and show it to you. But God, help me to use my phone to read the Word of God and to ask Christians to pray for you. Lord, help me to desperately value the prayers of your people. That's all out of verse 30. Let's come back to our text now and and see what Paul is actually specifically asking them to pray for. So he's got this struggle. He's urging them. This is really strong request. And what is he going to ask them to pray for him for? Verse 31, the beginning of verse 31. Pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea. So Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. He knows that there is not going to be a welcome mat out for him in that city. In that city, the majority of the Jews have rejected Jesus as the Messiah, and they have understood Paul to be a blasphemer, and blasphemers are to be executed. And he is about to take an offering back to the Jerusalem Christians who are few in number. And the Jewish unbelievers or the Jewish, some of your translations may have disobedient there. Those in Jerusalem who have disobeyed the gospel, who have denied Jesus as the Messiah, may want to likely want to kill Paul. So that's what's behind his prayer request. And so he is essentially asking for his physical well-being, asking the Roman Christians to pray for him. Now we know what happens when he got there to Jerusalem. We know what happens. It's recorded in Acts 21. Take a look at it with me on the screen. Some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They saw him when he arrived. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Men of Israel, help us. This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against our people, against the people of God, against the people of Israel. And our law, our Torah, in this place, this guy is against all of this. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. So this this is the Roman commander, the civilian authorities. This is the Placer County Sheriff who shows up. Some in the crowd shouted one thing and some another. The crowd are these Jewish disobeyers or Jewish unbelievers. And since the commander could not get at the truth, he's wanting to know what's going on here with this uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great, he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed him kept shouting, away with him. So this is fast-forwarding. Paul's prayer request that we're reading in Romans 15, 30, verse 31, 
Romans 15, verse 31, is a prayer request for when he gets to Jerusalem. This is what actually happened when he got to Jerusalem. God protected him through the Roman soldiers keeping him from the crowds who want him to be killed because he has blasphemed God in their eyes, in their view. So what should we make of this prayer? Well, this is one thing I would like to suggest, and this is particularly for those of us who've, who've maybe been around the church for a long time. Um, maybe you're only 18, but you've been around the church for 18 years, or maybe you're, you're just a, a young man in, in your young lower 90s, and you're not one of our more senior saints here um, in their upper 90s. You've been around the church for many decades. And when we've been around the church sometimes for a long time, sometimes we can get away from the scriptures unintentionally. And we can over-spiritualize things. In other words, our prayers in particular, we can think that we shouldn't pray certain prayers because they're not very spiritual. Uh, last week's sermon, we talked about unreached people groups and the spread of the gospel in hard places. That would be a thing for sure that we should be praying for. But should I really be praying for my physical well-being? You see where I'm getting at? Some of us, maybe not a lot of us, but some of us may think, you know, we really shouldn't be praying for our physical well-being. We're in the richest country in the world. We have all of these freedoms. We have all of these outrageous privileges. In, in Ukraine, I saw this morning, there are women and grandmothers and children who have been shot just trying to leave the country picture on the front page of the paper, I shouldn't really be praying for myself or my physical well-being. Well, I think if we look at this text, we see that's exactly what Paul is praying for. He's praying for his physical well-being. So it is not a selfish prayer to pray for your life to be preserved. And I'm not just talking about the context of people wanting to kill you. Probably none of us will ever be in that context, Lord willing, where we live. Look at where we live. I think it is unlikely that we will have soldiers in the streets with guns and we are praying that we don't get shot. I'm, I'm thankful where we live. Are you thankful for where we live? But we all are going to face trials and struggles and, and old age and, and maybe cancer and death coming. And there are times where we should pray for our physical well-being. And so what I'm trying to say here is uh, I, I, I'm calling that a selfish prayer. Wrongly a selfish prayer. It's not a selfish prayer. So Lord, help me to pray selfish prayers. Some of us need to pray for our physical well-being. Whether it's our, our health or our safety or whatever the situation is. Here it's, it's safety for, from violence. But even if it's just, just my, my well-being from, from whatever I've got going on in my body. That's, that's part of what we have been praying for others in our own church family recently. We're praying for that. For well-being in body and in soul. So that's the first thing he's asking them to pray for. Let's come back to our text here. See the second thing he's asking them to pray for in verse 31. So first, pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea 
and that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there. So I don't know what word your translation has for service, but service is kind of a a hard way to understand the way this is translated, what he's getting at here. What he's getting at here is the offering that he's taking. That's what he means by service. So he's talking about his service. He's traveling great distance at great risk to himself to take the offering from these predominantly Gentile churches to this predominantly Jewish church in Jerusalem. And he's praying, his second prayer request specifically, his requests are specific, that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there. Implication, they may not be interested in receiving this money. Because this money is from an ethnic group that historically there is conflict with. Christ has come to unite his church of every tribe and tongue and ethnicity and every economic class, men and women. He has come to unite us with Jesus being supreme and our Lord. And things like our ethnic identity, like being Jewish or being Greek, as way less important. But Paul's a realist, and he knows they may not want to receive this money because of who it has come from. We could go off on a million tangents here. Throughout church history, there have been massive, massive, pitiful, deplorable divisions in the church because of ethnicity. So Paul's second prayer request is that they'll receive this offering that the Jews would receive, the Jewish Christians would receive this offering from Gentile Christians because the Jewish Christians, we're not sure if there was a, a famine in the whole area or if it was just the church that was struggling like massively, like struggling to eat, struggling to survive. One commentator writes this, He says, Paul viewed the collection not only as a work of charity, the collection he's taking to Jerusalem, not only as a work of charity, but also as a way to ease the developing tension between Jews and Gentiles in the church of his day. Getting Gentiles to give money to their Jewish brothers and sisters and getting the Jewish believers to accept it was a practical way of binding the two groups together. God gets glory when diverse persons come together under the supremacy of Christ, and put aside their ethnic, their economic, put aside meaning meaning it is not central to who we are compared to knowing Christ. It doesn't mean Jews stop being Jews. It doesn't mean that Italians stop being Italians. It doesn't mean that Mexicans stop being Mexicans, that white Americans stop being white Americans. It means that that is small compared to us being gospel people, Christian people. So this is Paul's second prayer request, that this would be accepted by the Jewish Christians. Last week, we had an article out in the foyer, which we can print some more of if you want one today, but we didn't do that today. An article, it was entitled, 10 Seminaries from Post-Soviet States Issue a Joint Statement. And I love this article, and I'm referencing it now because it relates to what Paul's praying for, his second prayer request for the Roman Christians, the ordinary Roman Christians to pray for him. This is, it's, it's connected to what is, is going on in this statement. In this statement, there are Christians in Russia, 
today and Christians in Ukraine today who came together and issued this joint statement about how to pray for them and how united they are. Christians in Russia and Christians in Ukraine united. Not united behind primarily Zelensky or Putin. That's not what unites them, but it is the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel who unites them. What's that? Amen. Technology. Yeah, I lost my slide here. You want to just put up the next slide, Jake? Church, do you want to read the next slide? Say yes. Say yes. So can you just forward it one? Or do you got control? Just forward it one. There we go. Here's what it says. It says, we confess the real and unlimited power of God over all countries and continents, Psalm 24.1, as well as over all kings and rulers, Proverbs 21.1. These are Russian and Ukrainian Christians. Therefore, nothing in all creation can interfere with the fulfillment of the good and perfect will of God. We, together with the first Christians, affirm Jesus is Lord and not Caesar. So, my third of four points here, go ahead, Jake, my third, and four, third of four points is, is that we should pray, Lord, help me to unite diverse persons under your supremacy. Now, what does that look like here? I, I, I don't, that's, this is where preaching gets hard, right? We're not very diverse in the foothills. I mean, we just, we just ain't that diverse, right? Look around. Um, and yet, we can still be united in our hearts, and, and I feel like, I, I, I feel, I have been praying a ton for the church in Russia and Ukraine. Had some interaction with brothers from those countries who, who live uh, down the hill. So I, I don't know what it looks like, but what I'm saying is if we look at this text and we see how Paul prayed, part of what he's praying is for the supremacy of Jesus to be so clear over Jewish and, and Greek believers. Lord, help me to unite diverse persons under your supremacy. Well, let's finish up today, uh, this sermon, looking at the last few verses, verses 32 and 33. So these are the two things he's, he's specifically asked to pray for, for to be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea, and that his service would be acceptable to the saints there in Jerusalem. Verse 32, so that by God's will, I may come to you, Roman Christians. So he's not coming till he goes to Jerusalem first. So that I can come to you with joy and together with you be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. So notice he goes on for a lot longer after he says amen, like a good preacher. Um, he says amen, and then he keeps going, and he keeps going, and he keeps going. So sometimes he'll have more than one amen, but here's his amen here. So the takeaway here, one more takeaway for us, and I've really put these points as, as kind of um, expressions of prayers from us to God. What we really need is, is his grace. We need his grace every week. Like, why do we gather like this? We gather to hear his word, but it's not just so that we can get smart or we can get knowledge. It's so that we can get his grace 
and we can be changed. And I think a careful reader of this passage would want to connect some dots and, would, and, and the careful reader of this passage would connect some dots between Romans 15 and Acts 21, which we've already looked at, and would say, you know, I'm not sure that Paul's prayer was answered the way that he was expecting it to be answered. When he was asking for to be rescued, I mean, I can't point you to a verse here, but I'm just saying I don't think that he had in mind being arrested and chained to a guard on either side as the solution to not being killed by the Jerusalem people and being under house arrest. I don't think that's what he had in mind. And yet that is how God answered his prayer. This is the Apostle Paul's prayer. I mean, I don't know if you've ever felt like, you know, I wish God would answer my prayer the way he answers, you know, people's prayers in the Bible. Well, look at how he answers Paul's prayer. He answers Paul's prayer by having him, under his sovereignty, be arrested. He answers it, but he doesn't answer it in the way that we want. So my fourth and and final point here, you already put it up. Lord, help me to embrace your bitter providences. This is a bitter providence. It's an answer to prayer that Paul wasn't killed in Jerusalem and that he was protected, but it wasn't the way that he wanted. It wasn't what he was desiring, I don't think. And as I look at my own life, the way my own prayers are answered are very rarely the way that I want them to be answered. There's often a a twist, a turn. Sometimes it's really sweet. Sometimes it's sweeter than I thought it would be. But other times, my answer from the Lord is is bitter. It's hard. And that's what Paul experienced having being chained to two guards. And then he, of course, as we talked about last week, does get to Rome, but not exactly in the way that he expected. He gets to Rome under house arrest and is able to do ministry from that location. So, so we're talking about biblical prayer, the Bible influencing how we pray. And so embracing his answers when his answers are not the way that we would often like. We'll finish up today looking at a prayer from this book called The Valley of Vision that's helped me learn how to pray. And in this book of prayers, one of the prayers goes like this, just part of it. They tend to be really long, so it's just a part of this one prayer in this book. It says, Lord, it is my chief design to bring my heart back to thee, back to you. Convince me that I cannot be my own God or make myself happy, nor can I be my own Christ to restore my own joy, nor my own spirit to teach, guide, and rule me. Help me to see that grace does this by providential affliction. Grace does this by sometimes our prayers are way sweeter and more enjoyable and better than we could have imagined, but sometimes they're bitter providences. They're providential afflictions And that's what we have here. God answers his prayer and protects his life and his ministry continues, but it is not in the way that he anticipated. And that needs to be in our minds and hearts as we bring our prayers before the Lord and most importantly, as we ask those who are in our community 
to urgently pray for us as we go through the struggles of life, we need to have this in mind that God's answers are often different than what we are anticipating. Let's bow our heads together and pray. Father in heaven, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for how real it is and how someone who on one level seems so holy and radical and and willing to lose his life, to walk into Jerusalem with a bunch of money for the very few people there who might welcome him and may not even want to receive the money, but the majority of the people want to take his life. And yet for the sake of the gospel, Paul went. Lord, we thank you for the reality that Paul is actually a lot like us. And and, and this was hard for him. And he needed the prayers of people to sustain him, even though his mission in life is very different than ours. And the the risk to life that he experienced is radically different than ours. But on this other level of these greatest battles that happen inside of our hearts and inside of our minds, we are very much like Paul. And we desperately need the prayers of other believers in our lives. Help us, God, to find that community and to make those requests, whether they're in person, whether they're through text, or whatever way, God. We thank you for the privilege of going before your throne and praying. In Jesus' name, amen.